Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Um, let me start off with what may be a simple enough question. Who are you? It seems like a simple enough question. How do we describe ourselves? How do we name ourselves to other people? We have our name. We have our heritage, where we come from, whether it's a city, state, country, nationality, whatever we have. Um, we describe ourselves in terms of our family as maybe a brother, a sister, a cousin, in our relationships with other people, coworkers, classmates. Um, we term ourselves in things that we do, whether it's a job, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a fandom. Uh, and we name ourselves in the things that we do for one another, the things that we do towards one another. And all of these are great ways of describing who we are relationally to one another. Um, but are they really a good way of describing ourselves ontologically? And that's a word that we throw around a lot here. I got to admit, the first time I heard that word, I had no clue what it meant. I had to go to the dictionary and look it up. It's a nice big SAT word for all you guys that are still students. If you throw that into your paper somewhere, you're definitely bound to get a couple more points. But ontologically refers to the very nature of something, the very core aspects of itself, something that is kind of immutable, something that is inherent in it. So when we think about these descriptions of who we are, they're great descriptions of how we are, again, relationally to one another, but they may not be great descriptions of what is most important about us or the core of what our being is. Uh, let's do a little bit of an example. And uh, I'm going to use myself as an example. Let's uh, put some of these silly pictures up here. Who is Stu? Stu is a guy that has a slightly unhealthy relationship with the New York Rangers of hockey and uh, enjoys playing hockey himself. Uh, I think that picture is from when we won our uh, championship back in like 2017 in Woodbridge. It was awesome. Um, who is Stu? Stu is a guy that enjoys working on cars and shows how he cares for other people by working on their cars. I look terrified in that picture because that's my brother's truck and it's a diesel truck and I still don't understand how diesels work so I'm terrified of touching that thing. But again, it's how I show love for him so I am willing to delve into those crazy places. Uh, who is Stu? I don't usually throw pictures like that up there. I'm a little bit shy about showing myself in uniform but yes, I am a law enforcement officer. That is a picture from my graduation day. That is 17 years and at least 35 pounds ago. Oh, God, I was in such bad good shape back then. Anyway, um, these are all important aspects of myself, right? They help define me, right? But do they describe me better than anything else that could be said about me? I mean, like I said, that picture is from back in 2017. I don't get to play hockey very much anymore. I definitely don't work on cars as much as I used to. Does that make me any less stew? I do work in law enforcement, but does that fact filter into every aspect of my life and every decision that I make and how I interact with people. 
certainly does not. So there are other things about me that are more important. There are things that are more ontological about me that come out through these other aspects of my life. Uh, the last time I was up here, I spoke about our identity in Christ, that when we accept Christ into our lives, we become a new creation in Christ. We have a new identity in Christ that was bought and paid for by Christ on the cross. And it's something that we can rest assured in because it's not something that we create for ourselves, but it is something that is created by Christ in us through him. And when we think about our identity, our, our absolute ontological identity, that should be one of the first things that we think of, that we are a new creation in Christ, that we are beloved by Christ, that we are his son or daughter. But that's not always how it actually works. When we think of our identity, that's not the first thing that a lot of times will pop into our heads. A lot of times it will be those other things. It will be our jobs. It will be our hobbies. It will be the things that we do or the things that we want to do or the things that we make ourselves. It may even be in negative things. It may even be in our flaws, in our struggles, in our traumas. And sometimes those aren't even things that we make for ourselves, but they're things that are put upon us. Doc has said many a time that a lot of times our values are more caught than taught. They're things that we learn through our experience in our lives. And I think that's very true of our identity as well. There are things that are caught about our identity that other people will say or that we will get the message from through our experiences in life. And these messages of the arrows, they can take over that identity of who we are in Christ. But as new creations with Christ, with that new identity as a child of God, we actually can move beyond that past identity, whether it's one that we have for ourselves or whether the, it's one that the world has put on us. And we can actually live in the hope and the freedom and the change that comes from being a new creation in Christ. And what I want to talk today is about how we can actually move away from the old ways of thinking about our identity and embrace our new identity in Christ. We're gonna take a look through a couple of different passages of scripture. We're gonna take a look at a couple of different things. And I hope that today we're able to walk away from this, not living in the past identity of ourselves, but looking towards that future identity and even that present identity that we have as a new creation in Christ. So first, what we're gonna do is we're gonna to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter um, 1, and what I actually want to do first is do a little bit of differentiation on words, um, because sometimes the way we think of words being used in our common language, in common parlance, it's a little bit different than the biblical authors use them. And the two words that I want to actually tackle today are saint, which is sometimes translated as holy ones, and sinner. Now, when we think about it in, um, in our world today, because we're a very action-oriented culture. We're a very results-oriented culture. So when we think of the word sinner, what do we think of? We think of someone who sins. We think of someone who does bad things, someone who misses the mark, someone who maybe we don't even want to associate with. And when we think of saint, we think of someone who's always got it right, someone who's always doing the right thing. Maybe they're a little bit of a goody two-shoes. Maybe they're a little bit of a Ned Flanders. Maybe they're Mother Teresa. But when we think about it, I mean, if we really think about it, that's well, not us because, you know, we all miss the mark. So we probably 
think of ourselves, we might think of ourselves more as sinner than saint. Trust me, I'm not trying to get anybody depressed here, but I'm just throwing that out there as a, as a backdrop for things. But when we think about things in the context of the biblical authors, those who wrote the epistles, it's not a, a term that's aligned so much with your actions, so much as your relationship with God. When the biblical authors, the writers of the epistles like uh, Paul, when he uses the term sinner, he is referring to someone who does not yet have a relationship with God, does not yet have that knowledge and relationship of Christ. And when he describes someone as a saint or as a holy one, he means someone that does have that relationship with Christ. And he's not specifically talking about their actions as the defining factor. So when we look here at um, this verse in uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, called to be his saints, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. See, when he's talking to these people, he's calling them saints, knowing full well that not all of them are acting as saints. Not all of them are acting perfectly. I mean, we've talked about it many times before. He's had to write to the church in Corinth many a times to help guide them in their relationship with Christ and live more aligned to who Christ has called them to be. But he's calling them saints not because of their actions, not because they've got it perfectly every single time, but because of who they are positionally, their identity as new creations, people who have a relationship with Christ, because that is who they are. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they didn't have a history of being sinners. It doesn't, doesn't mean that they didn't have a history of being ignorant of who God was. But there was a change. There was a growth from being a sinner, someone who was ignorant of God, to now being someone who is in relationship with God and on that path of being aligned to who Christ has called them to be. Now, if this sounds like a little bit much, I, tr I assure you guys that I didn't come and pull this out of a hat on myself and I'm not trying to you know, make everybody pumped up or anything like that. I've been reading a really awesome book called Victory Over the Darkness by Neil T. Neil T. Anderson. I really, really recommend this book. It's been helping me deal with a lot of issues with my own identity and if you have any struggles with your identity, and I'm sure every single one of us have had those kinds of struggles, I really recommend this book. I'm still in the early stages of it, but it is so flippin' awesome. But anyway, let's go down to um, our next passage here. And uh, this is from Paul's first letter to uh, Timothy. And here, Paul is kind of giving like a brief history about himself. Um, he doesn't have any illusions about who he was. He doesn't have any illusions about his identity in the past as a sinner, as someone who was ignorant of God. And this is what he writes here in verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. When Paul is talking about this, he's not saying that his current present identity is that he is a sinner, the worst of the worst. In fact, it's very different from that. He recognizes that his identity is as someone who knows God, who is in relationship. 
Instead, he's making and recognizing the change that Christ made in him, that he was, at the beginning, ignorant of God, that he was the worst of sinners. And by his relationship with Christ, by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, he is something more. And that's where we go in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Again, he's recognizing the difference between what he was, a sinner, someone who was in ignorance of God, and what he is now, a new creation in Christ that has eternal life in him. And honestly, Paul's history is not something that he could escape from anyway. I mean, we all know Paul's story. He started out as Saul. He started out as a persecutor of the church. And a lot of Christians knew who he was. In fact, when he first became a Christian, the, the very first Christian he met, the one that baptized him, when God said, I want you to go and baptize this Saul fellow, that person said, are you kidding me? This guy's like the Christian Terminator. You, you sure about that? Everybody knew Paul's history. But if he lived, if Paul lived just in that history, without realizing that he is a new creation in Christ, where would that have gotten him? Where would that have moved him? He would have stayed stuck in that one position in his history, in the past, not who he is at this point in Christ. And I think for many of us, we know our past. We know the places where we have screwed it up. We know the places that we've fallen short. It's very easy to believe that our past is all that there is to our lives, that we will never move beyond whatever the failures were, whatever the traumas were, whatever the sins were. But the truth is, once we have a relationship with Christ, once we come to accept him as our Lord and Savior, we become something more. We are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And Christ gives us, by his sacrifice on the cross, a new identity in him. It doesn't change the history. It doesn't change what we were, but it changes who we are now in him. And if we lose ourselves to that past identity, to that false identity, we will never move forward. Even if we are a new creation in Christ, even when we are a new creation in Christ, if we don't recognize that there is that tangible, clear-cut change, we will forever be stuck in that past. Um, I mentioned Neil Anderson's book, and I want to share um, a quote from that, if we can put that up. Uh, Neil Anderson writes, Understanding your identity in Christ is essential for living the Christian life. People cannot consistently behave in ways that are inconsistent with what they believe about themselves. You don't change yourself by perception you change your perception of yourself by believing the truth. If you perceive yourself wrongly, you will live wrongly because what you are believing is not true. 
If you think you are a no good bum, you will probably live like a no good bum. If, however, you see yourself as a child of God who is spiritually alive in Christ, you will begin to live accordingly. Next to a knowledge of God, a knowledge of who you are is the most important truth that you can possess. See, if we're only believing the identity, and let me try that again. If we only believe the identity that we've created for ourselves or that we've allowed the world to create for ourselves, that identity of who we were before we knew Christ, we're going to be stuck in living out that example. As he says, if we believe we're a no good bum, we're going to continue to live like a no good bum. If we believe the things that were true about us before Christ created something new in us, before he started fathering us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, we're just going to continue to live in those old ways. Yes, we are sinners saved by grace, but our identity is not currently. Once we accept Christ, our identity is not as sinners, people who do not know Christ. We were sinners that did not have a relationship with Christ, that needed to be saved by grace. And we need to remember that so that we don't become proud, so that we don't become puffed up in our own righteousness, because it is not by our righteousness, it's by Christ's righteousness. But we need to remember that our identity is no longer in being just a sinner as a person without a relationship with God. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he understood who he was, past tense, his identity in the past as a sinner, as someone who was without relationship with God, who was undeserving of grace, but he understands who he is now in that moment, having received grace, having come into relationship with God. He understands that differentiation of who he was before Christ entered his life and who he has become, who he is becoming after Christ entered his life. So how can we embrace our new identity in Christ? If we can put that point up. What we need to do is we need to differentiate the past identity versus our new identity in Christ. We need to recognize that there is that tangible change created by Christ because of his sacrifice on the cross, because of his grace and his presence in our life, not something that we make out of ourselves, not because of our own perception, not because of the work that we do, but because of his work on the cross, that there is a substantive, tangible change that we can live in, a change in our ontological identity that comes from him. If we're still holding on to that old identity, that's what we're going to live in. If we're ignorant of the fact that we have a new identity in Christ. We won't be able to live that. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. This doesn't mean that we're not going to screw it up. But it's no, it's no longer a question of identity. Anderson calls it saints who sin, the identity of a saint, a person who knows Christ, who does stumble, who does perform the action of sin. That's why we have accountability. That's why we go to each other and confess our sins, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can continue on and move forward. But again, the struggle isn't one of identity. It's a struggle of action while we are in that new identity in Christ as saints. We're no longer the no good bum. We don't have to live 
as the no good bump because we have everything that we need in Christ to live as a saint, to live as the person that he created us to be, to live in that identity as a son or a daughter of Christ. And remember, it's not about us who brings this change. It's not about our goodness. It's not about how awesome we are. It's about the one who created this in us, the one who died on the cross so that we could have that relationship with Christ. So my question for you guys, when you think about your identity, what do you base it on? Do you base it on your successes, maybe your failures? Do you base it on what other people say about you? Do you base it on who you are in Christ? And do you really embrace that ontological change, that full 180 change of who Christ has made us to be? Sometimes that's very, very difficult. It's a long process to actually live out that change. And it's especially long if not impossible, if we don't realize, if we don't embrace that Christ produces that change in us, that we are ontologically, by our identity, by his sacrifice on the cross, a new creation in Christ. So when we accept Christ, we become that new creation in Christ. It opens up that new identity for us. But it's not a simple one, two, three thing. It's not an easy, boom, overnight change where things just perfectly happen. As we go to the next uh, passage here, that new identity is possible, but it's not easy. And Paul tells us about it because he knows what it, uh, what it takes. And it's something that we all love. And by love, I mean we all hate. It takes patience and it takes process. And how many of you guys love process? One person saying he loves process. I don't know about that. Maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe he's just looking at the end of the process. That's a good way to look at it. Anyway, Paul goes on uh, in, uh, where was I? I lost my place here. Paul goes on in Philippians. And uh, this is what we read earlier. And he goes on about his history. And some of it is good. Some of it is bad. Some of it is his accomplishments. Some of it is the fact that for zeal, he did persecute the church, and that's not exactly a good thing uh, when we consider everything that that entailed. But he kind of switches it all around because these were all the things that he did find his identity in. And he now declares that all the things that his identity was in, good, bad, and indifferent, they don't mean anything anymore. And when we go to verse 7, this is what Paul says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for, whom, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and anticipation of in his suffering, his participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So all his past identity, everything that he ontologically was before knowing Christ, garbage, junk, refuse, 
worthless, all gone. But the next verse is what I really want to focus on, and this is starting at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, at the point where Paul is writing this letter, he's been following Christ for a long time, maybe as long as 20 years. And he's been on quite a heck of a journey with Christ. And yet he still admits that he is still on that journey. He is still pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of him. He hasn't fully gotten it yet. He's still in process. He's still making progress. Now, he's not forgetting about his past and what Christ has done for him. When, when he says that in verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, he's not forgetting his past. He's not ignoring where he was before Christ, but he's not letting all the things that were his identity hinder him from moving forward. It's the same thing for us. It's not about forgetting what Christ has done and what he has saved us from, but the key is that it's not being held in bondage to the past so that we can forge onto the future that Christ has for us, even if it takes time, even if it's a long, drawn-out process. And I know we love that process. We want it right now, but it takes time. It's a process. But we can rest assured that it is a process that is happening because we know the one who is guiding it. We know the one in who we are found. We know the one in whom our identity is assured. We know that it is in Christ. We know that he is faithful to finish the work that he has started. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that created the new identity in us, and he is the one that will see it through. Uh, it's funny how anytime I talk to anybody about how I come up here and preach, they always kind of make me blush because they always say, wow, you're really good up there. You look like you are just cool, calm, and collected. I ran into a family member that apparently saw this, and she said, I am amazed. You're like, you're a natural up there. And every time somebody says that to me, do you know what I tell them, God's honest truth? Oh, boy, I got you fooled real good. I am almost always terrified up here. And honestly, that is because of my old identity, my pre-Christ identity. The old identity of me, and this is one that was more caught than taught. Like I said before, sometimes we catch these things about our identity. My old identity that I caught was that I'm soft, I'm weak, I'm not capable. I'm the one that's shy and quiet not able to do these crazy things. That is an identity that Christ has been working on me in all, for a long time. And it probably started when 
oh gosh, probably uh, 10, 15 years ago when Doc and Pastor Lydia first asked me to do announcements back when we were in the basement of, uh, of ICC back in Staten Island. And I was terrified then of it. And I still get nervous coming up to do announcements, <laughs> much less coming up here to preach. But I know that Christ has led me up here. I know that Christ is working that old identity out of me. And he has put me in situations where I can do nothing but lean on him and say, Eep, God, you got this because I don't. And he has yet to let me fall on my face because he is good. He is leading me on that slow but steady process that is long and is drawn out but is good. So, how do we embrace that new identity in Christ? Let's put this point up. We got to understand that walking in your new identity, in our new identity, is a process. It's going to take time. It's not always going to be a smooth journey. There are going to be times when we stumble and we live as saints who sin. And then we go, we confess, we make it right. We go right back to it, knowing that God is fathering us and growing us and progressing us in that identity that we have in him. And we can be encouraged that he is good to finish that process in us. So my question for you guys today is, where are you on that journey? It's kind of like that old question that we always ask, the house analogy. Are you outside of the house? Are you at the front door? Are you inside the house in the relationship with Christ? Are you inside the house assured that you have a room in God's house, but still think, no, I've got to go home someplace else later on tonight, not realizing that you have a place in God's house because you are a new creation in Christ. You are part of his family that is welcome and belongs there. Are you on that process? And maybe you're getting a little bit fed up with it. Maybe you're not seeing the results that you wanted to see just yet. Maybe it's time to take a moment to go back to God and revisit who his identity is. Because like Anderson said, it's important to know our identity. But more important than that is knowing God's identity. And especially as we're going into Lent, as we can spend that time fasting the things that get in the way of our relationship with God, and we can feast on the things that bring us closer to God, we can come to know his identity and his love for us once again, as he shows us what it means to be a new creation in Christ. And for those of you guys that feel like you don't have a relationship with God yet, I hope that when I say a sinner is someone who does not have a relationship with God, I hope you don't take offense at that. Because look to your left for a second. Now look to your right. Look to your left. Look to your right. Now back at me. Feels like an Old Spice commercial. Every single person you just looked at had an identity at one point as a sinner who was without relationship with Christ. But in accepting him, in coming to know him, we have that new identity in him. And we are still on that process. We still don't get it right every single time. 
but we are growing. And that is something that's available to you as well. And I hope that you would investigate that and see what having a relationship with Christ might look like, what the identity that he might have for you will be. I guarantee it is better than any identity you can create for yourself, and it will surprise the bejesus out of you. Lord knows it surprised the bejesus out of me. How the heck am I still up here talking about this? Anyway, would you guys please stand with me and pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love poured out on the cross that gives us a new identity in Christ, that we are a new creation in Christ. I pray, Father, that as we go from here today, that we would really investigate that, go to you and sit at your feet and really see and understand and know what it means to ontologically, at the core of our being, be a new creation in Christ, who you are creating us to be, who you are fathering us to be. I pray for the patience on that journey and the faith to know that you are the one who started it on the cross and you are the one who will finish it with us. I thank you for that relationship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oscar Wilde once said that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. The tension between those two things is the dynamism of the spiritual life. And there are paradox at the same time. One thing we have to understand about identity, the identity we want, not the identity that we hear from the world, the pressures, the internal pressures, the external pressures. You're gonna hear the negative voice first. Negative is always first. The positives, especially for me, who struggles with perfectionism, the negative, one negative comment, and it's like, what? Why'd I say that? Right? And so today, what I want you to do is tune into the negative voice. And it's not gonna sound like demonic. <laughs> you know, like, a lot, you know, there's been a lot said about the Super Bowl with Rihanna or even the Oscars with demonic worship or demonic music. Let me tell you, Satan had nothing to do with that demonic platform at the Oscars or was, what's it called? Was it Oscars? The Grammys. Yeah, you know, I confuse these things with the artists. Sorry, my son is not going to like that. <laughs> He's going to correct me when I go home. Look, Satan it has nothing to do with that. Satan is cunning. He's going to use the most elusive voice to come in and make you believe that it's your own voice. So you have to tune into what that is and you have to catch it. Like what Stu shared, the most powerful thing in his message was the voice that said, my old identity, you're weak. You don't have what it takes. You're dumb. You're never going to get it right. You're always delayed. You're always going to be. Tell someone next to you, you're always going to be like this. You're always going to. You know, one girl told me that uh, if she gets into a fight or a petty fight with someone, one girl told me that she says, she always says, you're fat. 
She goes, you know why I say that? I'm like, why? She goes, because it's insidious. Every girl thinks they might be fat. So the skinniest girl, I go, you're fat. And they say, I'm not fat. Yes, you are fat. Did she look in the mirror? You're fat. And then she could be thin, anorexic, and exactly the problem. She might think she's fat. This is how the enemy works. This is how the enemy works. So we can talk about truth encounter, but you got to discover first that old identity, and you have to bind it in Jesus' name. You have to do what my wife said today in worship. You have to learn to, to change your etymology from the F word. And sometimes the F word is necessary. It's just etymology. I don't really care about the cultural you know, context of it. And you have to change it to the L word, Lord. The black church has something right about this. I'm telling you, they know how, oh, Lord. Instead of going F, 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 F all the time. And my son has a problem with this too. You have to learn the L word. Everybody say it with me, Lord. Lord. Sometimes look to the, your name and be like, Lord. You need the Lord. Instead of saying the F word all the time because you're frustrated, you're venting about yourself, about other people, use the Lord instead, a more positive word. You know why you want to call out to the Lord? Let me tell you how identity really works. It's about leverage. The world is a game, and it's all about leverage. Personally, for me, I'm really good at this game. Really, really good at it. I understand leverage. And a lot of people have believed in a lie about who you are because of leverage. When you're a child, who has the greatest leverage? Your parents, your paternal voices, they give you your identity. Because identity is not taken, it's given. When you're born, you're given an identity, you get a last name. When you apply to college admissions all the way to the doctorate level, to the most selective schools, what you know what they really want to hear from you? It's not how you want to change the world. That's boring. What they want to see is something a little more insidious. What they want to see is how you leverage. If you're applying to Harvard, you better get a recommendation from Columbia or Oxford or something in intermediate, something equivalent. Higher, the better. Because what they want to see is how you're going to make their institution great. It's leverage. At the, um, for example, if I said Rich Paul, Who's Rich Paul? You're like, I don't know. Exactly. He's LeBron James' agent. He's dating Adele. You know Adele now, right? That's, that's power by association. Rich Paul proved he's a powerful agent in sports, LeBron James' agent, but he's dating Adele. Why? Because his identity, and you could say, you know, whatever, his leverage is LeBron. So when you say, when I say you're a child of God, you're an ambassador for Christ, that means you're the child of the king of the universe. Tell somebody the universe. Now tell somebody next to you why we have to change the word to Lord. Because the Lord of the universe is your father. That's why you want to change your identity. Because if it was whack, why would you want to change it? I'd rather be Harvard trained. I'd rather be Goldman bound. I'd rather be a surgeon. I'd rather be a physician. I'd rather be these names. No, if I'm a child of the universe, God 
is my father, the king of the universe. That's what I want. It's the highest leverage, which means Christians are living wrong if you're living in bondage or living in negativity or living in depression. And sometimes there's the chronic kind that needs help. But if it's just chronic and we struggle with it every day in a mild way, that means that we don't have the right perspective. We don't know who we are. Tell someone you don't know who you are. don't know who we are and that's why we have to change our etymology to Lord leverage leverage it folks leverage who you are you are a child of the king of the universe when I walk into a store I don't walk into a store any other way except like I own the place why because my father owns everything including matter I'm serious. If you walk in that authority, you walk in the greatest leverage you have. Your father owns everything. It changes everything. Then the way I want to live changes. The way what what can I not accomplish? What connections do I not have if my identity has the highest leverage in the world? So today I want you to pray with me. Would you lift your hands? We're going to do what my, uh, my, my Lord, my wife, she is the Lord of the house, taught us today. We're going to change our G to Lord from F, whatever F you use. Or we're going to change it to Lord. And we're going to learn to cry out to the Lord about who we are, about where we're going, where we're headed. And about what our destiny is. And our destiny is to shine the glory of the Father to those around us so that they may praise Him. Amen? So will you lift your hands with me? Let's make this our prayer today. Let's claim this identity. Thank you, Stu, for preaching this message about our who our identity is in Christ. It's so powerful. Let's make this our prayer. Will you receive it today about who you are in Christ? Because of what I've done, but because of who you are, I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean. A vapor in the wind, you still you, you hear me when I'm calling, you catch me when I'm 
Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you've told me who I am. I am yours. Who am I? That the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love. Look on me and watch me rise again. Watch me rise again. Who am I? Who am I? That the voice that come to see would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me. Not because of who I am. But because of what you've done. But because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done. But because of, what but because of who done. you are. But because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading. Here today. So then why can't that leverage be applied to the spiritual life? Every single problem, every single opportunity, the one who owns everything, the one who controls everything, the one know, who knows the future, that knows everything, omniscient, omnipotent, is your father. He didn't die for you because you were no one. He died for you and sent his son, your older brother, Jesus, because you're his. That's who we are. Some would say, I would make I mean, you're like, and then, you know, sometimes perfectionists hear that you're priceless. Really, how much am I worth? How much? <laughs> how much am I worth? What did you not understand about priceless? There's no, there's no value that can be calculated or compounded to what you're worth because you're his. You're his. You're his. You're his. Who do you belong to? Him. 
That's why David says, if God is for me, who can be against me? Or what he's saying, if God is for me, who cares who's against me? If God is for me, what up? That confidence, Paul says, right? I can do all things. Steph Curry says that all the time in his shoe. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. Every spiritual blessing, Paul says in Ephesians 1, has been given to those who've been adopted in Christ. Identity in Christ. Paul says, you are seated in Christ, given the heavenly realms, now, not when you die. Now. I don't think people understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I don't understand what I'm saying. It's so incomprehensible. It's so wonderful. It's so amazing. It'll take eternity to unpack what we've been given in Christ. So let's pray together as we close our service today. Father, I want to pray for this all-encompassing. How wide, how deep, how incomprehensible what we've been given in Christ Jesus. Lord, today we pray again for a glimpse of who we are in you and why you believe, why you believe we can walk in holiness and righteousness and in kindness and be the light in this world is because you live in us. Through you, we can do all things. No one can stop us because you are for us. The only one stopping us from living our best life and living our best is us. Because of the lies of the enemy and the lies of the world. So we take every thought captive today in the name of Jesus, of who we used to be, and we put on our new identity in Christ. We thank you, Father, that you wait for us and you run to us and you empower us to shine the light in this world for your glory. Father, I pray for flourishing that we can't even imagine in our lives that will bring glory to you. Will you bow your heads for the benediction today? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All 